again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard. That was one of my favourite singles from the mid-90s, Duffy, London Girls. Duffy and London Girls is one of the highlights of Martin Green Presents Supersonics 40 Junk Shop Britpop Greats. And of course, I've got Martin here, the compiler of this wonderful box set and on the scene in the 90s to share his uh, memories and reflections of that music. Uh, Welcome, Martin. Hi, good to meet you. Yeah, pleasure. I did speak to Mark Stratford of RPM back in February and sort of trailed this as the the final uh, chapter of, of RPM and a, a nice way to finish. But what was the, the origins of the set and the spark of the idea? Well, it, it came from, I've got a radio show on Soho Radio called The Beige Green Room with Lenny Beige, who was um, a big performer in the 90s. And we had a guest on called Phil King. And Phil King... I think it was probably getting on for 20 years ago, did a compilation, 15 years ago or so, did a compilation about junk shop glam. I think it was called Glitter from the Litter. There was a few of them that he worked on. Mm. So he was part of this junk shop glam. And he'd had a new compilation out, which uh, called All the Young Droogs, which is on Cherry Red. Um, and when, where he dug out all these obscure glam records from the 70s. The, and these records, which had been kind of in the bargain bins, for years became collectible and he was one of the first people to champion that Phil. so we had him on the show and then we went for a drink afterwards we were chatting he said you know what you should do is a compilation of junk shop rip pop because he'd done junk shop glam and he used to be in the band called lush which were a big part of the indie scene Mm. i thought actually that's a good idea because there was a lot of bands around during the 90s, who were great bands, but they never really, they had a few singles out, maybe an album, but they never really broke through in the way that, that the Pulp Blur and Oasis did. And I thought that was a good idea. So I approached Cherry Red, uh, well, RPM, uh, Mark, RPM, he's liked the idea. We set about putting it together. And Stephen Duffy's a very interesting, brilliant uh, musician and songwriter. And his history and story had quite a backstory going to the, the, the early origins of, of Duran Duran. But by the mid-90s, he'd slapped on an electric guitar and was singing about the, the, the London scene that was swinging in a way again. Yeah, he was. He was uh, Stephen Duffy was very um, was highly rated by a lot of those Britpop bands. So he was always a bit of a cult figure. So when Blur were talking about him, I think they kind of got pally, and then he did an album. He did his. He did an album by himself, and they did an album with uh, Alex James from Blur and Justin Welsh from Elastica. They, had, they set this group up called Me Me Me, and they had a single called Hanging Around, which kind of went to the top twenty. So he was very much kind of part of that whole scene. The thing about Britpop, it was very reflective over elements of the 20th century so people were championing scott walker stephen duffy brian wilson there were lots of these kind of heroes which um people uh, julian cope was another one and a lot of the bands referenced them and worked with them and stephen was one of those yeah and that track in particular 
has yeah. got that vitality of the the London scene at the time. Well, there was um, a tremendous vitality. I mean, most most of the material on the album came via a club that I ran uh, in, which I started in 1991. It was called Smashing, mm. and it ran until 1996. And uh, we did exactly what I was uh, what I talked about earlier, where we kind of went, we just looked back over the 20th century and played bits of music that we liked. So we have a glam record, a punk record, a bit of electro, a bit of indie, all kinds of things. Now, this was started in 91 at, at the height of house music. So everywhere you went, all you heard was boom, 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 <laughs> four on the floor throughout the night and everyone on E. So what we were doing, we weren't like that at all. We were a kind of boozy-ish kind of club mm. and we, where you never knew what record was going to come next. It was like a party in your bedroom. And no one had done that then. So we'd play all sorts of things. Bowie, Burt Bacharach, uh, George Emma X-Ray Specs. And we'd start to attract a lot of people, music people and indie people, to our night. And gradually, those people that hung out in our club and performed, we, we put a band on every week as well, or a cabaret act, or, um, they started to take off. So people like Blur and Pulp, Oasis and all those bands that were hanging out in our club, mm. listening to all these different types of music, and we were listening to their music. So it was a kind of zeitgeist thing. And some of them, and they took off. But with this album, I concentrated on the ones that weren't, didn't take off. And there was, it was definitely an attitude and an energy, um, which was a genuine thing. I mean, people were still living in squats and people were still um, on the dole and. So it was a genuine kind of passion um, as opposed to an eye on a kind of successful career. Because this was one of the first times that sort of indie bands really broke into the charts. And it was it was through this kind of energy. And that's what I tried to convey on all the tracks that I've put on the album. And you mentioned that um, obviously the, the bulk of the material here didn't grace the, say, the top 75 <laughs> but there's a but there's a, there's a few uh, unreleased tracks on there, including uh, "We Are Pleb Mood Music." That that group is now notable for featuring a comedian Paul Kay, who became very popular in the the mid nineties for Dennis Pennis. Yes, well, Paul, I was at college with Paul, so I've known Paul since we were eighteen. We went to Trent Polytechnic together, so he's just been a mate. So he's always been around at things I've done, events I've DJed at, parties. And he set this band up in the late 80s called We Are Pleb. And it was a kind of punky-ish, electro-ish, 60s-ish kind of sounding band. Um, and they never released anything. Um, but they were always great live and um, produced some great little tracks. So when I started to put this together, I also got in touch with Paul and I said, have you got anything that you've, you know, have you got any tracks around? I'd like to hear them. And he sent a few over and I chose Mood Music, which is a really good track. And Paul was very much part of that whole sort of nineties scene. And then Dennis Pennis really took off sort of in the mid nineties. Yeah. In a way, this, this track's sort of a, a precursor, a precursor to the, what, what's now known as Britpop. Yeah, kind of. It's, it was, I was saying before the thing with Britpop, it was a very anti-American. That was the whole, the, the whole thing was, it was looking to British culture and European culture as opposed to American culture. And that period from the very late 80s into the early 90s was grunge. So everything, the focus was all on America. So we had the baggy thing, and then it switched to America. So the focus was on Nirvana and Pearl Jam and everything like that. So this was a way that bands were going, well, actually, we don't want to look to America. We want to look around our own culture and our own history, and also in European history as well. So that was very much part of the whole thing. And we are clever, very like that. They kind of got that snarling kind of John Lydon-esque style to them.
And the different sounds across the box set, there's loads of different types of music. The, the next one being World of Leather, Don't Turn This Love Into Sorrow. I recall World of Leather from the, the mid-90s, and I think the first time I saw them, they had, I don't know how many band members, but it was like, say, 20 guys with acoustic guitars. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. I don't know if it was like some sort of big publicity stunt, but I think it did get them on TV. Yeah, they did have a little bit. I think also at that time, there was, you know, there was still lots of music programming around. And also there were these funny late night, low budget kind of magazine shows. And so a lot of people managed to appear on those. So they did get some exposure, which was great. I don't really know much about World of Weather, actually. The the tracks were all um, out on a label called Poppy, which was run by a friend called Top Taylor, who also ran a label in the early 80s called Compact, and produced people like Mary Wilson, and they had quite a bit of success. And he did this label in, um, uh, in the 90s, mm. signing these kind of odd bands, and World of Weather definitely were one. And this track, Don't Turn Your Love Into Sorrow, I think it's a really good track. And um, it's got a kind of Bowie-ish sort of feel. Because, again, Bowie was one of those people who was very influential. And people forget that in the early 90s, Bowie was, um, wasn't was a person that mm. was high in the public esteem. He'd done Tin Machine, which was a disaster. And he'd kind of faded a bit, really. And it was a lot of the Britpop people, like Suede, who kind of revitalised interest in them and smashing as well. We used to play a lot of Bowie at smashing. And he became sort of revitalised and relaunched in the mid-90s. Yeah. World of Leather, I'm probably the only person who's got both of their albums, but if you look at look for information online, they've, they've almost been very much forgotten. <laughs> it's true, they have. Well, most of these people have, and that's why I didn't want to do this album. And also I wanted to show that there was one of the big parts of... Um, Britpop was uh, a lot of those bands came through art school like Blur and Pulp, which was a tradition because you know Roxy yeah. Music, Bowie, the Beatles. A lot of people came through art school, so there's that tradition. I think in the music, it, it kind of it all sort of changed post '96 after Smashing finished, and things became more laddy and more serious, and the kind of uh, the more offbeat, anarchic art school attitude kind of started to disappear. And the world of Leather are definitely part of that. You never stop to wonder why You always whisper in the dark When anybody gets too near Start to feel the thing you fear
In terms of that art sort of rock feel, David Devont and his spirit wife seemed to fit into that offbeat, idiosyncratic style. They were crazy. They were really crazy. And they were quite brilliant. And they used to perform at Smashing a lot. And they, they were like a troupe. And they'd have props and set decoration. And they'd have these crazy narratives and mixed in with songs. So they put on these kind of like mini pop operas in the club, you know, and it lasts about 20 minutes. It'd be really engaging uh, and crazy and quite brilliant. And they were very, very popular. It never crossed over really into the public, but they did produce a few good 45s. This is one that, that I put on the album Pimlico, which I think is a, a great little track. And it's got that kind of um, Anthony Newley, um, Lionel Bart um, thing going on, which Blur had as well. So they were, they were a great kind of theatrical art school type band yeah you can see that fred the very the early very early bowie stuff had got similar roots that anthony newley yeah. lionel bart yeah, style definitely. it was very much a kind of it was this sort of supermarket of style kind of thing which we everyone was you know champ we were the one the first ones to do it really so yes you'd have that kind of bowie theatrical with a kind of punky kind of thing as well so there was all sorts of things going on at the same time cheers Sometimes London don't seem that appealing Maybe your lover is living in Denver Going underground, head will start to pound When you take a bus, then you'll start to cuss Maybe even swear a little bit It's got a lovely gallery Christopher Robin said buy me a pie, sir Cockles and mussels, they'll help you forget her We could take a trip on an open bus We could fall in love, just the three of us I wouldn't call a cop Take your passport Because you won't believe The dreams they've got to sell to you Piles of bricks Yes, any rubbish seems to do If it were hung upside down I couldn't tell Not so bad, my old fruit Made a veil, Tim Brooke, Taylor And a loot Going underground, head'll start to pound When you take a bus, then you'll 
cow Why not take your family? Because you won't believe the dreams they've got to sell to you Piles of bricks, yes, any rubbish seems to do we were talking about world of leather you mentioned poppy records and we have a, tr- uh, a track from poppy records here gretchen is it gretchen hoffner, gretchen hoffner yeah judy gal and life I'd, I'd never heard this before and i just rushed out and bought the album <laughs> the the lyrics and the sound of it are, are, we're talking about david devon and his spirit wife but again a very uh, witty witty interesting lyrics yeah very interesting i think they're really they're really interesting I and mean, i really like the production as well mm. and um yeah this was poppy and um but sadly paul hoffner who was um who was the lead of gretchen hoffner died just after the um album came out so they kind of disappeared the whole thing sort of disappeared into obscurity which is a shame because i think there was a great talent there there's a clip of him on youtube um with the band and they're really good you know, you think that you know it's it's something you just don't really see in popular music anymore. Mm. That kind of you know, if things a bit too serious now, you just don't see that kind of real eccentricity. So all we have as a, as a legacy is, is it just the one album? Yeah, I think it's just the one album. Yeah, gosh, and uh, and an EP. So I think that's so. Where did you find it? It was on eBay. Oh, great. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, because I've because it's like when with. So years ago, 25 years ago, I did an album called The Sound Gallery. Yeah. And it was the first uh, easy listening compilation. And I did it with a guy called Tris Penner, who worked at EMI, and another guy called Patrick Whitaker. And we put the thing together because it was just music we loved and things I was finding in the junk shops and the charity shops and DJing mm-hmm. out. It took Tris Penner a year to persuade EMI to release it because they were saying, why do you want to release this? No one bought it the first time. No one's going to buy it now. Hmm. And he said, look, but there's a scene. There is a scene. It's a small scene. It's underground. People do like it. Anyway, he badgered and badgered and badgered. And he said, look, you own all this material. It's going to cost you nothing apart from the manufacturer. Let's, anyway, they, they relented and, he, and we, would, they would, we released the album in 95 uh and it sold a hundred thousand copies and it completely launched that whole easy listening revival in the 90s and suddenly all those record companies started going through their back catalogue we started working for different record companies going through their back catalogue and putting out different albums and because no one really knew what they had in the vaults because you know things were older decks bits were forgotten it was all bits of paper and tapes and everything so that was a quite an exciting time. And, there, and, of course, all the records that we were finding shot up in value because of that album and because of um, the interest yeah. in it. Now, when I started to put this together, there was quite a lot of material I had, but then quite a lot that I didn't. But then I remembered the bands from Smashing, and then, and then I found copies on eBay or uh, Discogs. And mm. most of the time, the postage was more expensive than the records. So, because people aren't that interested. But I do think after this... Yeah. people will become interested because the original copies of Blur and Oasis and Pulp, any of them on vinyl, go for a lot of money. So I do think people are going to start looking back at the um, the, un- the unknown um, elements yeah. of, uh, of, uh, that made up that scene. And you were, so you were wise to buy it when you did. <laughs> I was very surprised um, uh, when, I, when I went on eBay and I looked at the prices of, of, of many of the, the, the groups here it's a great time to collect if if you if if you're into this sort of thing because you're right. I think the postage is more than many yeah. of the, the tracks say, so it's a it's a bargain really. 
Yeah, it, it, it costs very little. And I do think there will be um, interest. I, I mean, I, until Phil started talk, uh, talking to me about it, about the, the idea, sowed the seeds of the compilation, I hadn't even thought about the 90s. In the 90s, we were very focused on the 60s. That's what we loved. We loved the 60s and the yeah. 70s. So we used to buy the clothes, we liked the records, we loved all that. We weren't really thinking about the 90s because we were looking back to the past. So it wasn't until recently that I started working on the album. I started looking at that period and the club and all the bands and started going, oh, well, you know, it was really exciting. Some of these records don't sound so good, but some of them sound brilliant. And some of them sound better than they did at the time. And there is a real connection, a real attitude that was around them. And lots of gig venues, so there's lots of bands. Yeah, very much a a thriving club and and live scene uh, with loads of small venues open, loads of pubs. Yeah, so we used to go, I think think we used to be on a Monday, I think Monday night we were at home, maybe Tuesday or Thursday. There was one night of the week when when everyone was in. Every other night we were out seeing bands here, bands, and and London was still cheap. Gigs were cheap. Yeah. Everyone, rent was cheap. So it was, you know, people were out and about a lot. So there was lots of bands all the time. And then one band had split and then they'd become another band. And it was just a sort of legacy that had been around since the 60s, really. You know, that, well, the 50s, I suppose, a lot of live music and a lot of bands. Next we have Knicky come out tonight and uh, many people will be familiar with the lead vocalist, guitarist Lauren Laverne, who's very popular on Six Music and BBC these days. Yes. But a fine a fine band in their day who and produced a pair, pair of albums. Yeah, very good. And another one, they, they were fairly well-known and also Shampoo on the album as well, which were quite well-known, but they never really became mega successful. And they were great. And there was, there was a lot of, mm. of female-led bands then. 
And um, and I think that was very healthy. And there was a lot of women coming through in the indie world. Yeah. So you had bands like Elastica and Sleeper, and there was endless bands with um, with women writing the songs, performing them. And uh, and I don't can't think of another period when there was so many women really breaking through in pop, uh, well, pop indie music. And and also it was very much on on their own terms. Yeah, you know they were on these little indie labels. They could have control of what they did, the artwork and everything really. And they were a lot. Of, they were fierce. And those records sound terrific. And the Kaniki ones sound really good. Still sound really good. Elastica. A lot of those bands sound great. They're, they're all kind of influenced by Blondie and Patti Smith and. The runaways and that kind of thing, and so um, you know they could do something good. Yeah, come out tonight. It really epitomised that that sound. You can hear the sort of northeast Sunderland twang in in Lauren's <laughs> voice, and get chatted up by the lads. And again, very much on, on her own terms, as you say. Yeah, yeah, no, they're great. They're really, really good. And I think that's one of the really great things that came out of Britpop. And again, it's what I'm trying to. I'm trying to not rewrite history, but kind of put it back into perspective a bit really because it wasn't this sort of laddie culture thing which, which was quite a lot later really that kind of came out but there was a lot of really good female-led bands female-led band, Linonium and Marquis. I wasn't familiar with this track at the time. Oh, I think it only sort of dented, but I mean, fine, fine track, which deserved uh, much more. Oh, it's a, no, it's a terrific track. Uh, there was a guy called Paul. So Paul Jones um, was part of the, of the scene and he used to be at the club every week. There were certain people with those bands that were there every week, people like Jarvis and the Blur Boys, and you know, everyone was down there. And but, but Paul was always around, he was in Elastica briefly. He's now in a band with Paul Kay. Paul Kay's got a character called Mike Strutter, and Paul Jones is in that band. But he was in this group called Linoleum. They did one album called Descent, and this marquee track I think is a fantastic track. The singer is a, t- a terrific singer, Caroline Finch, and she looked amazing. And um, it's another one that's kind of lost bands of Britpop and I do think it's it's a strong album and a, and a terrific track it sounds still sounds really good Was that released on their own label? Because you'd, you'd think if it had sort of big backing by a, a major, even behind the scenes, that it, it should have gone higher Yeah, it should have it was, um, I'm not sure it was on Lino vinyl it probably did hmm. have um, someone behind it but um, I'm not sure exactly but there was, I mean, there was a very healthy indie scene then. People did used to put a lot of material out, and and they could get a distribution. I mean, it distributed by Vital. There was a, there was a buzz about them. They played Reading Festival, and 
but they just didn't quite there, there was only really a brief period for Britpop to chart it kind of it was around 90 the first ones that were started to go into the chart Suede were the first to sort of to get in, into the charts then followed by Blur mm. then it was Oasis and Pulp and people were kind of creeping into the charts into the top 20 into the top 30 top 20 then Park Life happened and then Oasis and then, and then Common People and which was all around 95 96 it started to dissipate a bit really and then Spice Girls happened and pop kind of came back yeah and then um and then Robbie Williams and people like that were doing a kind of a, a sort of softened version of kind of in uh, Brit pop which became far more popular and then the whole thing sort of was, it didn't really find its way into the charts, which it was was doing. I recall seeing the Spice Girls the first time, and they kept going about girl power, and I thought, mm. "Well, that's going to go nowhere. That's just going to knock. That was just a knockoff of shampoo." So what? What did I know? Yeah, completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then it was very pop, and also it was the the the, the music industry basically when said, "Well." hang on a minute, we're spending all this time and money and investment in these bands, these indie bands, which some are going nowhere, some are. Most of Britpop didn't sell yeah. outside the UK anyway. Bits in Europe, very little in America, because I think the attitude was a bit too sarky and a bit too narky for them, you know, So um, and a bit confrontational. So it didn't really sell outside the UK much. And so they got this manufactured band, which had this enormous worldwide hit, and thought, well, why are we bothering with all these sort of indie bands when we could just go back down the pop path, manufacture, and get instant hits? So it was, um, and that's what happened, where people like Blur and Pulp particularly had been around about 17 years before they broke through. But a lot of those indie bands had been around for quite a while before they started getting anywhere in the charts. Mm. So I think that's what that's what sort of changed it. So there was only a brief period where people could actually make a name for themselves. The kind of offbeat kind of the bands, I mean, you know. Aftermath kicking Last night He was shining And so entertaining Today he is tired And wasted and grey And each time He says he won't do it again His head is a rhythm as he lights up a cigarette which does him no favours Today like the others is spent under the covers And wait for the night to get up there again And each time he says he won't Tonight, you know that he'll do it again. 
that's probably my definition of pop. <laughs> pop pop songs on this, uh, you know, brilliantly crafted, catchy tracks with a little bit of offbeat uh, style to it. And one of those is Posh's uh, Rough Lover. Yeah, that, that's a great track. They were Pippo and James, who were part of Posh, Pippo was the lead singer. They used to come to the club all the time, right from the beginning. And they started performing their first gigs as Posh at the club. And Adrian Webb, who I used to manage the club with, he managed them for a while. He managed menswear and then he and discovered menswear and he also managed uh, Posh. Uh, they signed to Rhythm King and they got a bits of TV appearances and things, but again, it was just a little bit too late, really. Uh, it never really went anywhere. And the singles are great. They sound really good. The songs are strong. They had a really strong image. They look great. But um, it just—it was another one. It just didn't quite, yeah. quite go anywhere. I think the time. I think there was, as I said, there was. I think it was just a very brief period where the kind of offbeat pop broke through, and it's and it's sad really because they were re- they were very good. <laughs> We have one of the most well-known bands on the set, and Rialto and Underdogs. Which, when I heard it, I thought, "I'm sure that was a single. Surely it should have been a single." No, it's a terrific record. It sounds like Richard Hawley to me. Yeah, and Richard was part of the scene, and Rialto yeah. very much so because um, Louis had a group called Kinky Machine, and they performed at the club, and uh, so did Rialto. So they were always they were around and um louis uh, there was another one who was a pop star that never really happened because he should have because he was charismatic looked mm. terrific wrote great songs but they never uh, they never really broke through either they were quite kind of known but i don't think they really charted uh and they did i think, I think they did one album as well yeah the, the sound of the records it's got that um that lush cinematic sweep t- tied to oh. tied to it. It's brilliant. It's beautiful, yeah, because, they were, again, they were influenced by Scott Walker. They had a kind of Scott Walker feel, and they very much came through the sort of art school 
scene. I mean, Louis now runs the Port Elliot Festival, Literary and Art Festival, which he's been running for a few years, which um, is very successful. Um, so he's very part of the sort of art world. And it's another terrific record. I mean, I was quite amazed. I, I was amazing myself, really, when I started digging around, going through old boxes and going to hunting around the internet and finding these tracks because I think there's some incredible lost music from the 90s. The dogs keep running up the shining motorbikes, trying to keep up while they look back and laugh. We're so tired of dragging our hearts. It's the chrome and the steel, and all the power that we wanna feel. So when we catch them, we will rip them apart Cause it's no more than they did to us We've been waiting so long We know just what we want We will cheat and we'll rob Cause we We've had too much shit kicked in our eyes Stop us howling at the moon through the night If it keeps them up, then that's alright To be bitter and alone Is such a dirty little job we're jaded to our brittle bones Cause we are the underdogs Yes, we are the Next we have Pimlico and Revolve. Not that many tracks on this have got that guitar sound that was emblematic of a number of the groups at the time. I think this is yeah. a band that features uh, Andy Lewis, who's known as a worker, as a, a DJ, and, and um, working with Paul Weller and other people as well. Yeah, well, they, well Pimlico and uh, The Weekenders, they both came out of a club called Blow Up. So Smashing started in 91. I think Blow Up started in 93, and they were in Camden. And they very much mixed up kind of, I mean, we were a, a real mishmash of all kinds of things where they were very indie mixed with mod. So Blur used to hang out around at their club a lot as well as ours. And um, they DJ for Blur. 
uh, um, when they did the park life dates they had that kind of moddy that the moddy end of um brit pop and so uh pimlico was andy Lewis's band and paul tonkin who ran blow up records who runs blow up records and the club blow up um had this group called the weekenders and their tracks called In- inelegantly wasted uh and they're both on the album and um but they've got that very kind of moddy 60s kind of attitude um and it's a really good a, a really good track so yeah, and you're right. It's one of the. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of guitar music on on the album, uh, but I wanted to kind of show a lot some of that and some of the electronica that was around at the time. And it was more about attitude than sound. I felt when I put the album together. In terms of that track, there's a, there's a lot of bands in the last decade that have taken a similar a template to Pimlico. It's a bit more of a sort of timeless sound now, in that it doesn't date in that sort of mod modish guitar sound it's very popular now yeah no it is i agree yeah it does sound it does, it, yeah it does sound very um contemporary yeah, yeah it does mm. i just think everything's sort of what we were doing where we were we, we were kind of picking over it, bits and pieces of of uh, popular history musical music culture is very common now so people do that when i grew up and when we i first started clubbing it was very, you'd go to a club, you'd hear one type of music or maybe two types of music. So, you know, it was house music or it was Rare Groove or it was a disco club or, you know, where what we were doing and what happened mm. after was this kind of mixing up. And I think you can hear that in popular culture now. People have got a kind of, the people take, still taking lots of elements from different different genres. <laughs> we get to our final track we're well into 1998 now so very much the the end of an an era a vela set and strip poker there's a there's a little bit of a pups babies on this yeah and stereo lad ping pong that's what it reminds me of yeah so it's got i don't know anything much about them they were involved with um saint etienne and it's got a bit of a saint etienne feel as well it's that kind of light female vocal very pop swinging sound but that was a recent discovery that was sort of rooted around the internet and discovering it really. Um, and no one really knows it. it was a, it was an extra track on a, on a CD single. I think it's um, a terrific track. I think it's a really, really strong track. It's got that kind of European stereo lab feel to it. 
Like it could be from a 60s French movie or something. That was one of the things about the the mid and late 90s with a CD single. There'd often be like two versions of the single, each with three different B-sides on each single. So then you'd end up with six (laughs) extra tracks. It was... There was flooding, yeah. flooding out of material, but sometimes you'd find some real gems that would never see the light of day otherwise. It's always my favourite place to find things. I've always found things tucked away on albums, tucked away on a B-side. I've always kind of avoided A-sides, really, when I've compiling albums. And DJ as well, I always try and find the obscure things or yeah. another version or, you know, I just like it. Because sometimes a band just thinks, oh, we'll just put that on. And then years later, you listen to it with sort of fresh ears and um, you think, well, actually, that's brilliant. That's better than the, the A side. <laughs> it's really strange. I mean, whether there's going to be, I mean, there's been a big revival for vinyl over the last sort of, 10 years. And it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's really peaked now. Vinyl sales are, t- are doing very well. I wonder whether there's going to be a revival for the CD single because they've become like the sort of unwanted, um, Hmm. You know, what, what, hmm. <laughs> item. nobody seems to want to see these singles, but uh, they were churned out. There was a lot of them around. I think it's um, a good time to buy them. Well, if you love the music, get collecting. Yeah. You can't lose that way. Yeah, I think so. And dig deep. That's the thing. That's my. Yeah. That's always my motto because I think that's what I've, I've always done. And it, And you don't seem to get it so much now. People seem to want the hits all the time mm. where I think keep look, you know, ignore the hits, find the B sides, find the forgotten album tracks and dig deep and you never know what you're going to find. Brilliant. Well, hopefully people will dig deep and get their own copy of uh, supersonics, which is on RPM cherry red. Thanks so much for your time, Martin. It's been a pleasure uncovering what for many people is a, a time or bands from the nineties that people won't be familiar with. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's ten years since I started the podcast, and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.